Well, this morning, I want to um, continue our series on the fruit of the Holy Spirit, speaking about the person of the Holy Spirit. Before I do that, I, I want to say happy Memorial Day, and I want to I say thank you for all those that have given their life for us, that we can have freedoms today, that we can have freedom to come into the house of the Lord and uh, just be free. I'm so grateful for those that have uh, given the, their ultimate sacrifice, and that is their life today. So we, rem- we remember those. And maybe you know of some. Maybe there are some in your past generations that have been in uh, past wars or maybe even current situations. And so we want to thank our military. We want to thank our servicemen and uh, all those that have given their lives and for those families that have suffered the loss as well. Our prayers go out for you, and we thank you. And we just want to remember that. So thank you. Amen. So this morning, as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to talk today about the fruit of gentleness. And what I found as we have been digging into the fruit of the Spirit, that I continue to be amazed at the level of depth there are in these studies. I, um, the more I study, and I, I guess that's the benefit of being the teacher for those that are teachers. Those that teach always get the most out of it because we go through the study aspect of it. But I am just really, um, really amazed at God's goodness. And, you know, and I, and I thought that the fruit of the spirit of kindness and goodness and gentleness would be the short and easy studies. <laughs> I thought they would be the easy ones to get to. In fact, I thought we might even be able to wrap them up into one sermon because they're all kind of alike. But what I found is they're not alike. What I found is they intertwine like all the fruit of the Spirit does, but there's so much depth and so much power in all three that I'm so glad that we've taken the time to go through each one individually. I mean, if it's that important to the Lord, it must should be that important to us. If he's going to list them out independently, individually, then we need to study them individually as well. To be honest, I, I thought that um, these would be the easy ones, and the hardest ones would be things like faithfulness and... Uh, joy and some of those, but I got to be honest, these are harder because these are the ones that really differentiate a godly person from a worldly person. Uh, When you think about kindness and goodness and gentleness, that's just not in the world. (laughs) The world doesn't have that. It's just not in in our flesh makeup. And even in the church world, I will say there are many professing Christians that have a hard time with kindness, goodness, and gentleness. We, we may be good with faithfulness. We may be good with joy. But when it comes time to be kind <laughs> and gentle and good, uh, sometimes we lack. And I'm talking to myself here that I'm really um, am glad that we're going through this study because it's kind of directed it right towards me. Remember that... As we discuss the fruit of the Spirit, we're discussing the very nature of God. It is, it is who he is. It's his very character. And God exhibits all the qualities of the fruit of the Spirit perfectly at all times, and as well as Jesus did. And as we understand more about the fruit, we're understanding really more about God. And that reminds me of a, a scripture that I pray quite often is found in Colossians chapter 1 beginning at verse 9, and, and it says that, I paraphrase it a little bit because I make it personal, but I, I, I say it this way, I pray that you continuously fill me with the knowledge of your will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work, and here it is, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So I see a real correlation between being a fruit bearer and also increasing in the knowledge of God. That these two go together. That God desires, more than anything, he desires a relationship with us. With you and me, God desires a relationship, a personal relationship that he knows you by name. He knows your middle name. He knows the pet names that you, you and your wife and your husband call each other. He knows your secrets. He knows when you were born. He knows your ailments. He knows when you're going to go from this life to the next. 
He's got a plan for your life. And so when we're spending time talking about the fruit of the Spirit, we're talking about our relationship with our Father in heaven. And there's power in that. And that's why I think it's so important that we spend the time talking about the fruit of the Spirit, which is given in Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, repeat them with me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So today we're going to talk about gentleness. The Greek word for gentleness is peruts. And it is defined as a gentleness or a meekness or a true humility. Gentleness can also be known as meekness, which is being a divinely balanced virtue that can only operate through faith. We're going to find today that this is another supernatural gift or a supernatural fruit that the Lord gives us. The New Spirit-Filled Life Bible defines gentleness as this. It says, It is a disposition that is even-tempered, tranquil, balanced in spirit, unpretentious, and that has the passions under control. The word is best translated meekness, not as an indication of weakness, but of power and strength under control. The person who possesses this quality pardons injuries, corrects faults, and rules his own spirit well. There's a lot of words there. There's a lot of meat in that. We'll come back and digest that a little bit. But I look back in, in, in the example of King David and uh, his life. And David had some good things and some not so good things in his life. We all know that. David was a man like all of us, even though he was a man after God's own heart. David also had some pretty serious failures in his life. But David capsulizes his life, I believe, in Psalms 120, verse 7, and it says it real simple. I am for peace. All of David's life was generated around peace. That's how he was meek, and he was a meek gentleman. He was a meek man. Dr. Alex Ness, uh, he wrote a book called The Holy Spirit, and I've, I've quoted him quite often because... I really like what he has to say about the fruit of the Spirit. He gives us a little definition of what this peace looks like that was in David's life. It says, uh, Dr. Ness says, It's not hard to be meek when in every situation everyone seeks peace. Meekness is the very essence of the character of one who is able to forgive a cursing, accusing, rebellious, or adulterous wretch and seek to live with them in peace. To accept such a yoke and carry it with a hope of perfecting the guilty, must be the fruit of the Spirit. No person of his own accord can either carry such a yoke or see its successful fruition. So let me ask a question. When you hear definitions like this of gentleness and meekness, do you see that in yourself? (laughs) If you're honest, probably not. (laughs) <laughs> I have struggled with meekness and gentleness. And, uh, and I certainly wish it was easier for me to deal with this and be a gentle or a meek person. It doesn't come naturally for most people. Now, there are some people that are just born nicer than others. I, I get that. But for some of us, it's a struggle. And that's why, like every other fruit of the Spirit that we've spoken of, we see them to be supernatural in their growth in our lives. Jesus obviously was supernatural, even in his humanity. He was supernatural, and and he exhibited all the fruit of the Spirit all the time. Never did he not. But for me, I need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to help me with this, with developing these fruit, especially gentleness, goodness, and kindness. I I will tell you, those are the hardest ones for me. I can be faithful. Uh, I can be peaceful. I can try to love, but when it comes to being kind and good and gentle, sometimes that's a struggle. Um, Once again, let me reference Dr. Ness one more time. He says, a gentle or a meek person will maintain a balance in passions and temper. He may be angry, but not to the point of sinful anger. He may suffer injustices, but will not seek revenge. It is the finest attribute of strength. Gentleness or meekness must never be interpreted as weakness. Amen. That's where the world really misses it. 
The world sees a meek person as a weak person. But I don't see any weakness in the life of Jesus, do you? I don't see any weakness in the life of a man that really knows what it means to be meek. And we're going to talk about that. It's not a surprise, then, that the reaction of our flesh man would be opposite, however, of God's character. Especially in this area of being of a gentle disposition. Our flesh man wants to take control of the situation, don't we? We want to uh, take actions on our own. We want to take revenge when I'm offended. We want to get even. We want to fight fire with fire. (laughs) As we think that's maybe the only way to get through sometimes. But what happens when we do that? Think about some of the conversations you've had with your spouse. (laughs) What happens when you fight fire with fire with maybe some of those that have offended you? Well, we get into a good old-fashioned feud, don't we? That's the Hatfields and the McCoys come out in all of us. And we get ourselves in a little fight. And to be honest, when a person feels that they're right, it feels good to tell others that you are. (laughs) Right? I mean, when you're right and somebody's wrong, it feels good to tell them that you're right. Doesn't it, Kate? Dan, you're wrong. (laughs) My wife has a little, she's got a spatula at home, and it says, um, Mr. Right. And then you flip it on the other side, it says, and Mrs. Always Right. <laughs> she's not here today. She's done helping our kids move and our grandkids, so she's in Hillsdale today. So um, I'll get it later when she hears I said that. <laughs> but it feels good to tell people they're wrong, even when they are. You know, but the old saying is very true. You can be so wrong, I'm sorry, you can be so right, you're wrong. You can be so right that you're wrong. So how do we feel after the fight? You might feel somewhat vindicated. You might feel like, wow, I really told them off, didn't I? I got, I really did my job. They know where I stand. But I'm praying that there's enough God in you left that you will feel a little bit of guilt after that fact. You'll feel a little remorse to think, man, I, I was so right I was wrong there. That's the spirit of gentleness. So what should we see as the theme of our life when it, com- when it comes to growing the fruit of gentleness? What, if, what should be our theme? Our theme, I believe, should be something like this. We should be seeking a disposition of a balanced understanding of the problems that we're facing and see the solution to be one of godliness, not manliness. That I should see the meekness in me coming out so that I want to be like Jesus in this situation, not like Mike. Because if I want to let the spirit of Mike rise up, believe me, it won't be good. I want to see the spirit of Jesus rise up so that I can see a godly person, not a manly person. Amen. So I want to speak today of three practical aspects of the virtues of gentleness. So let's get practical a little bit. Three three virtues. One, gentleness goes hand in hand with humility. Number two, gentleness strives to restore a person who has fallen. And then finally, gentleness trusts in the Lord, not in oneself. Gentleness goes hand in hand with humility. Let's talk about that. Gentleness, hand in hand with the, with the, with the state of being humble. Paul writes to the church in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This list of instructions that Paul gives to this church in Ephesians says that we are to live a worthy calling of the Lord um, as a follower of Christ, and it all begins with a humble and a gentle spirit. We need to be humble, not prideful. Pride, as we all know, 
resists humility and gentleness. And if we're truly going to get along with people so that we can have the end result of unity through the bond of peace, then pride needs to be left at the door. I don't have the right, I don't have the ability to be prideful and humble at the same time. It doesn't work. And if I'm going to be prideful in spirit, then I'm probably not going to be gentle in spirit. Humility comes along with a, with a, uh, with a gentle spirit. Gentleness and humility, they're primary virtues that a Christian needs to grow If they can see life through the lens of God, then we need to have a gentle spirit, a humble spirit. So does this mean that Christians are going to agree on every topic, on every conversation? No. No, we're still going to have our differences of opinions. We all have minds, and we all have opinions. Just some opinions are better than others. (laughs) But there comes a time when we have to recognize that um, we need to have spiritual discernment to know when we can agree and when we need to disagree. There are things that we need to agree on, and there are things we need to disagree on. Those moral issues of right and wrong, we don't compromise with those. We have to make sure that we know where our moral compass is at and we stay true to the course. But there comes times in life when the issue may not be a moral issue. It may be an opinion issue. And when we have an opinion, we need to be careful that we're not letting our, our disposition override a spirit of gentleness when it comes to not agreeing sometimes with the next person. There are many things in life that there, there is more than one right answer. And we need to know when we can um, learn to agree to disagree, that we don't need to press the point to make sure that you agree with me because I'm right and you're wrong. Uh, I, I may be wrong, but in my spirit, I may be feeling right, and, and so I need to be careful, and so do you. A gentle or a meek person can appreciate someone else's opinion without being offended. Think of that. A gentle or a meek person can appreciate another person's opinion without being offended that they might not agree with yours. Take that one the next time you're having an argument with your spouse. (laughs) That'll uh, hopefully quiet us down a little bit. So let this settle in your spirit. Not everyone needs to agree with you on every topic. Can I just, I mean, I think when we can, if we can get that into our spirit, I think that will help us understand what a gentle spirit is and a meek spirit. Humility and gentleness also impact the relationship we have with other people. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 3. It says, Paul says to, to those in Philippi, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, there's that big word, there, in, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with, other, with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. Man, there's that godly mindset versus that human mindset again. We just need to make sure that we we honor Christ. And and one of the biggest violators of unity, one of the biggest violators of unity in any relationship is the natural tendency of an individual to promote their agenda and their interests above another. You want to have disunity? Then make sure you get your own way all the time. You want to have disunity? Make sure that that person never wins a battle. You know, the old issue is um, when you go to make any transaction, any deal. When I was selling in the automotive industry, and, um, you know, we used to have price battles all the time. You go to Ford, and you're trying to raise the price and whatever, and they're trying to say no. The reality is it has to be a win-win scenario. If you're going to sell something to somebody, if you're going to um, do business with somebody, it has to be in a situation where you both walk away feeling good about it. If one walks away feeling like, boy, I was really taken advantage of, you don't want to leave people with that, with that feeling. You don't want to leave people that, with that motivation to get back to you. It's never worth winning the battle to lose the war. Unity requires that we don't 
put our agendas first. Unity requires that we look at others and say, you know, their opinion is just as valid as mine. If it's not a black and white issue of the word, and I have a tendency to be black and white, I can tell you that. If it's not a black and white issue, then be gentle. Be meek. That's why it's a supernatural act of gentleness and meekness that protects the Christian's relationships in both personal and communal relationships. More problems in churches happen over opinions because they don't like the color of the carpeting. It has nothing to do with the spiritual nature. It has something to do with someone's opinion because we're changing something and we're making it a change. And Come on. It's not worth it, is it? This is just a building, and, and all this stuff here is great, and we really appreciate it, but it's not going to last. What's going to last is our relationships. What's going to last is you and I having a relationship based on Jesus because we're going to see each other a 1,000 years from today. And a 1,000 years from today, I hope I'm not regretting a conversation that I had with you today. I hope I'm not regretting an argument over a stupid little issue. Because, first of all, I don't want to risk my thousand years because I will say that we can risk our eternity if we get so prideful and so stubborn in our ways. This is a serious topic. This is why this is a hard one for me because it's hitting me right in the forehead and it hurts sometimes. If we're going to have any chance of being pleasing to God and to have Christ-like relationships with people, then we need to maintain our humility, and our gentle attitude. So how do we maintain our own, our own identity in Christ, yet be unified and be a team player in the kingdom of God? We do this by developing and growing the fruit of gentleness and meekness, and we allow that to be manifest in our lives as we're dealing with people. That it's not about just me, and it's not about just you. It's about us in unity in Christ. The Old Testament prophet Micah instructed the Israelites of of his day in the act of walking humbly with God and man. And his advice or his word is just as pertinent today. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. It's good advice. For all of us, memorize that. It's all good advice. Humility works hand-in-hand hand with God with, as he's working gentleness in our journey of life so we can be pleasing to the Lord and having proper godly relationships with people. This is not an optional fruit. This is not a, if I like it, I'll take it. Like all the fruit of the Spirit, we have to be faithful and dig into it. And recognize that if I am going to truly be pleasing to the Lord, that a gentle spirit I must have. And I must be intentional. Let's move on to point two. Point two, gentleness strives to restore a person who has fallen. Now, we all know that we're living in a broken world. We're living in a fallen world. And this world is not compassionate nor kind to the weak. Is not compassionate to those that have fallen. And can I just say that maybe the roughest ones on people that have fallen are the church. We can be really hard on those that are struggling with sin. We can be really hard. Thinking that we're right, and probably we are right, but we can be so right we're wrong here if we're not careful. Gentleness knows how to restore a person who has fallen. And we all have points and times in our life where we're struggling. Be honest. I do. And probably you do too. Times when we just can't quite get a break. Times when we just, you know, we're trying to be good. We're trying to say no to sin. We're trying to be strong in ourselves. We're trying to say no to whatever that hindrance is in your life, whatever that, that nagging sin is in your life. I'm trying to say no to it, but, you know, my flesh is weak. And sometimes I just give in to it. It's not what I want to do. But there's that struggle. This is when I need to have a gentle man or a gentle person come to me alongside me and lift me up. This is not when I need to get hit with a sledgehammer. 
Because God doesn't have a sledgehammer. I know the world believes God is a mean God, and he's up there just waiting for you to screw up so he can hit you, so he can bang you down again. That's a lie from the enemy. Can I just tell you that? That is a lie from the pit of hell. That's not what God's about. He's not a mean God. He's not anxious. He's not angry with you. He's angry with sin. Can we just say that? We talked about this a few weeks ago. It's okay for us to recognize that God has emotions, and God is angry at sin. He does not like sin. It is detestable to him because Jesus died for sin. Therefore, he's angry at sin. He doesn't want sin in your life. So he's angry about that. But he loves you. And he loves me. And he's not out to to break you down because there's sin in your life. He wants to help you get rid of it. He wants to help you live above it. He wants to help you get over it. He wants to help you be victorious so that you don't have to struggle with sin over and over and over in your life. Because it's a hard life. A person walking on the fence, it's a hard, hard life. Because when you slip and fall, it hurts. Think about that word picture. If your legs aren't as long as a fence post. It hurts. I've been on the fence. I lived on the fence. For, maybe you have. Maybe you still are. I don't know. But if, it's, if you're living on the fence, it's not a good place to be. It's so much easier when you just give in to God and say, God, I'm all in. I'm diving in headfirst into the pool of Christianity, and I'm going to live my life for you with all that I have. And the last thing you need to have is somebody come and push you in the pool because that hurts sometimes. Many well-intentioned Christians have ended up hurting people and scarring people and doing great damage to them. Rather than gently restoring them into a right relationship, they're thinking they're doing right. And again, it's not what they're doing is wrong. It's just they're not doing it right. (laughs) They're so right they're wrong here. Um, My dad was really good at that. I, I loved my dad, but my dad could say the right things in the wrong ways. If you knew my dad, you know what I'm talking about. Right, Ron? He could say things that would just, they're so right, but man, dad, why do you say it that way? Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. And I will tell you, this is speaking directly to me today. Because I have hurt people. And I'm sorry. I've been so right at times that I've been wrong. Because the way I've come across to people sometimes is just too hard. It's not that God's truths aren't truths. But I'm not the one sometimes to take it that way. And I'm sorry if I've ever hurt you. Because I know I've hurt people. And I want to be careful that I don't do it anymore. I mean, I think it's just wise for us to pause here for a minute and just think of the people in your life. Maybe you've done the same thing. Maybe you've been so right you were wrong. Think about that person right now. Put a plan together to go back and restore it. Put a plan to go back and say, I'm sorry. I hurt you. I'm sorry. Those are pretty powerful words. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. However, we can't miss the point that truth is truth. No matter how it's represented, truth is truth. And sometimes it does hurt. We just need to be sure that the delivery of the truth is Christ-like and loving to the best that we can. A gentle and a humble person hears the voice of the Lord. And he knows how to go to someone like the prophet Nathan did to David when he confronted David with his sins about Bathsheba. He went in a story form. You go back and read that in, in, in 1 Samuel. 
Second Samuel. Go back and read that. How Nathan went to David and said, I mean, just read his mail. And David had no, nothing to do but confess because the way Nathan went. It's a whole other story. You know, here's an important litmus test for us to have. When we feel that it's our responsibility to help someone in sin. Sometimes it is your responsibility to help someone, a fallen brother. And sometimes it's not. So here's a test that I'm learning to use. I wish I would have learned it a while ago, but I'm learning to use it now. Here's a test. If it doesn't hurt you to say whatever it is that needs to be said, then maybe you're not the right one to say it. Think about that. You've noticed, observed someone in sin, someone that has made an obvious mistake. And if it feels good to you to tell them, then you're not the right person. If it doesn't hurt you inside to have to go to that person and say, I got to tell you something that's painful for me to say, but you're off, you're off the track, you're off the way. You need, somebody needs to say it, but maybe it's not you. If it doesn't hurt you, don't say it because you're saying it with the wrong attitude then. If it doesn't hurt, if it makes you feel good to say it, then check your heart because that's not godly. That's not the Holy Spirit issuing, giving you that unction. It's the enemy giving you that unction to go hit that person and knock them down while they're weak and scar them and push them further away from Christ. But when you go to a person with a gentle spirit and it hurts you to say what you need to say, they'll listen. They'll be like David and they'll confess their sin. And they say, oh God, I'm so sorry because you went with a gentle attitude. Hmm. Does that make sense? Amen. Yeah. A gentle or a meek spirit restores in contrast to a legalistic spirit. How many here know what legalism is? How many of them here grew up in a legalistic world? Man, I grew up in the Assemblies of God. I know what it's like to be legalistic. I know what it's like to be said, we don't smoke, we don't drink, we don't go to movies, we don't dance, we don't chew, and we don't go with girls that do. I mean, that was it. When people said, what do you believe in? I just told you. What I heard was all the things I don't do, but I never heard the reasons why. I don't do those things. Now, I'm not saying those things are right or wrong. That's not the point of this point. The point is legalism. Legalism kills. Legalism destroys. Legalism is a primary strategy of the enemy to destroy you and your, and your brother or your sister. Legalism knows what's right and knows what's wrong, but it, but it doesn't understand nor does it care why it's right or wrong. It's just more about being legalistic. Because I said so. It's not the good answer. Parents, I really encourage you, when you are disciplining your children, to know why you're saying no. And give them a reason as to why you're saying no. Give them the reason why they shouldn't be doing the things that they're doing. Even if it's not morally wrong, even if it's one of those gray areas in Scripture, which there are some gray areas in Scripture, give them the reasons why to make the better choice. Now, if it's a moral issue, that's a moral issue. I mean, sexual sins and pornography and, you know, things like that. I mean, come on. We don't play with that. It is so black and white in Scripture. We don't even go down that path. It's just clear. But there are some other issues that may be a little bit grayer. And I know a big one right now in our world is alcohol and recreational marijuana. And I know the Bible doesn't say it clearly. But my conviction, and this is my conviction, it may not be yours, but my conviction says this. I don't want to play with anything that could potentially lead me away from Christ. 
And I don't know of anything more powerful that could lead me away from Christ than alcohol because it affects the way I think. It impacts my decisions. And I will tell you, I'm no perfect person. I went to college like the rest of most of you probably did. And I have been intoxicated. Can I tell you I have been? And it wasn't fun. Uh, in the moment, it might have been, but boy, I don't like being a player when I'm out of control. Now, some could say, well, I can have a casual drink, and yeah, maybe you can. The Bible doesn't say you can't, but maybe you shouldn't. From this perspective, and again, this is my conviction. This is where I've been too hard on people in some cases, but I'm just going to tell you my conviction. My conviction says, why? If you don't need it, why do you want to play with it? Because maybe it's going to grab you and take you down a path that you thought you could control, and in reality, you couldn't. So why do you want to play the game? Not only that, but especially I'm looking at parents and grandparents, you have a lot of little eyes watching. Why do you want them to see you bibbing on some things when you know? See, you might feel, well, I have this under control. I can handle this. But I don't know about my granddaughter or my grandson. And maybe they see me doing this and they think, well, if grandpa can do it, I can do it. And they may be prone to alcoholism. Or they may not recognize that I just had one. So they have two. And then all of a sudden they're in a state of where they're maybe not making good decisions. And maybe they have some other issues that come along with being buzzed or drunk. And there's consequences that follow. If you want to know consequences that follow sin, go back and read the life of David. Man after God's own heart. But yet the sin that he did with Bathsheba was so wrong that he spent the rest of his life dealing with the consequences. Even though God forgave him, even though he was made the king of Judah, king of Israel, the sword never left his house because of the sin that he committed then. Yes, God forgives, but consequences are bearing thereafter. So why? So my question is, let's get off this topic. My question is, if you, if you know there are potential consequences coming, make the wise choice. And the wise choice, in my opinion, is say, no, thank you. I'll have a soda, please. I'll have a glass of water, please. And move on. And then we'll do that. We'll move on. God sees the heart of a man before he observes the actions of a man. Yeah. God sees through your actions, and the first thing he sees is your heart. What's your motivation for what you're doing? What is your heart doing? And then he looks at the actions. But actions come secondary. They come after the heart because in the heart is where we really have relationship or not have relationship. So legalism, let me just tell you, in case you thought it was, legalism is not a fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> legalism is not a fruit of the Spirit. Legalism condemns and it seeks to punish. It's very aggressive and it becomes the focus more than pleasing God is the focus. Legalism is a form of self-righteousness that pulls others down. Gentleness, on the other hand, is a fruit of the Spirit. And a gentle spirit is one that restores the fallen by carrying their burdens until the fact that they can walk alone again. Think of that. You come alongside somebody and you're helping them carry their burden until they can walk alone again. That's a perfect example of what it means to be gentle in spirit. It's in direct contrast to the self-righteous person of legalistic nature because we're striving to lift the fallen person, not burden them with more issues to deal with. Paul understood this well. Colossians chapter 3 Begin to verse 12. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with, compar- with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Powerful. All right, let's get on to our third point. Third point is gentleness trusts the Lord, not in oneself. This is a big one because everything that God does for us is to keep us focused on him. Everything that God allows or brings into our life is about us having a better relationship with him. 
And if we're to, if we're to live a godly life, then we're to, if we can see it that way, that will help us. I will just tell you, if you can see everything that happens to your life, good and bad, it's all about trying to uh, focus our eyes on Jesus. And here's a, here's a, a key point. If, if we see ourselves, if we see our reliance on God waning, or we're not depending on God as much as we used to be, I will venture to say that our relationship with him is waning also. That if we start putting our eyes on ourselves versus him, that's a good indicator that our relationship isn't what it should be because we're finding ourselves to be our source of strength. And this is a great opportunity to talk about blessings. I want to just talk just a few minutes about truly what does, what do we, how do we define blessings in life? We often define blessings as good things, all right? Good things. Um, health, strength, money, nice homes, good vacations, new cars, boats. All the, and those are all nice things, and I appreciate all of them like we all do. And those are blessings. Those are all good, right? We, we agreed those are all good. We like those things. Nothing wrong with those. But I can also define God's blessings as things that aren't so good. I can also define sickness, losing a job, possibly a death of a loved one, financial pressures, and other not-so-good things. I can also define those as blessings when I understand what a true blessing is. A true blessing is anything that focuses my eyes on Christ. That's a blessing. Now, for some, maybe that new car is going to focus your eyes on Christ. Maybe that new house is going to focus your eyes on Christ. But I will say, yes, they can. And I pray that they do because I want good things. But I also know that there's going to be things coming into my life that aren't so good. And I find for myself that it's the things that aren't so good that really focus my eyes on Christ more than the good things. I will find that that new boat or that new car or that new computer or that new drone, whatever it is you play with, all of a sudden it, it, it kind of takes me away from my focus on Jesus because I'm having so much fun in the moment. Not that the fun is bad. But what I find myself easier to pray is when I'm praying for Jim Jensen because I know how much pain he's in. Or my life isn't going so well. Maybe I've lost some finances. Maybe I've lost a job. Maybe I've had a, I don't know, sickness or something. And, you know, I find, this, I find myself easier to pray when things aren't so good than they are when things are good. So I define blessings a little bit differently than the world. And with that, then, it keeps my reliance on Christ more because I'm, I'm depending upon him no matter what's wrong or what's right. Amen? So let's look at life because life can be tough. A blessing is anything that turns my eyes on Jesus so that I will recognize he is my eternal source of who I am, not myself. Amen. James chapter 1. Verses 2 and 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, produces perseverance. And we can read it on the rest and how perseverance develops every other things. But it's a joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials. Why? Because the trials should be pushing your eyes on Christ. Now, they could be making you bitter. They could be making you angry. I get that. And God can handle your anger and your bitterness. So tell him your truth. Tell him the truth. Tell him how you feel. Don't hide it because he sees it anyways, but then get past that and say, Father, whatever you do. Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Ah, that's it. It's more than just what I get today. It's about eternity. And when I recognize that God's eternity is going to be so much better than the good that God gives me today or the bad that he gives me today, all of a sudden now I keep my eyes focused on him. 
And then skip down a few more verses in Romans 8, verses 20 to 26. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know, here's the key verse, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Amen. Jackie, are you ready? Okay. Why don't you and Tom come and you can start winding me down a little bit here. But I think we need to read God's word and read God's words for what it says. Now, turn in your Bible or write this down and, or go back later today and read Psalms chapter 37. Read Psalms chapter 37. Um. I want to share just a few highlighted verses with you, and if it's too much to put on the screen, so just listen. Close your eyes and just listen to the psalmist as he speaks words that will encourage us when it comes to meekness and gentleness. It says, Psalm 37, beginning of verse 3, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. Here it is. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Amen. It's all about peace, guys. I'm about peace, like King David. I'm about peace. You get peace when you're meek. You get peace when you're gentle in spirit. I just want to pray for you this morning. Know that God is working in your life to develop more of the fruit of the Spirit. Is it hard? Yeah, it can be. It's a real test in some situations. But I promise you that as you choose that path, that he will be there supernaturally to lift you up when you think you can't take a next step. He'll be there. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I just come to you and I just say thank you for being who you are in my life. Thank you for being a truth teller, Jesus. Holy Spirit, thank you for bearing truth into my life. And I just give you the authority to continue to work it out in me that I can allow your supernatural fruit to grow in my life and that I can learn to be a gentle, meek man that strives to be godly and not manly. And I just give you thanks. So this morning, if you're struggling in an area, I want you to know there are people here to help you. I want you to know that the first step for you in this area is salvation. The first step for you is to accept Jesus as your Savior. You can't do this on your own. I will just tell you, you can't do this on your own. And even if you could do a good job, it's not good enough. You have to be blood. You have to be washed in the blood of Jesus. You need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So if you need him, I want you to just pray a prayer like this. Jesus, would you please forgive me? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I've let you down. I'm so sorry that I've sinned against you. I need you, Jesus, to be my Savior. And then I need you to help me make you my Lord, where I give you ownership of who I am and everything that I am about. I need you, Jesus, more than anything. Wash me with the blood of Jesus. Wash me with the blood 
that flowed from your body on Calvary. Just take away every sin of my life and just give me a new life. I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, would you tell somebody you did? Would you call me this week? Call somebody. Tell them that you made a new commitment. Tell them that you're a new man. And I promise you, if they're a gentle person, they will encourage you. And they will lift you up. Amen. Can we sing? Amen. Stand with me again as we sing. Father, we are so grateful for this day today. And I do pray, Father, that you go with us as we go to our homes now. And Father, I pray that you be with us in our relationships with people. I pray, Father, that you give us a humble and a gentle spirit today, that we would learn to love each other and embrace each other and speak truth to each other, but love each other. I thank you for this day. You're glorified today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here. You're ble- be blessed today. Amen.